so I invite you to turn uh, to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 11 through 16. And we're going to see in this uh, passage, we read last week how uh, Jesus ascended. Uh, Paul was quoting Psalm 68, and when he ascended, he took captives in his train and gave gifts to men, and so, or uh, to humanity. And so this morning, uh, we pick up with verse 11, and we see what those gifts are that Jesus gave. So please uh, follow along to the reading of God's word. Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attained to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every, in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you read it carefully, if you read this passage carefully, there's a lot of tension in the passage. Not only because in the original Greek, it's really just one very long sentence, um, but because Paul is talking about all these different gifts that build us to maturity and keep us from foolishness, from human cunning, from craftiness and deceit. This week, I had the opportunity to play some racquetball with Rick Teller. And uh, as we were going out to the court, I actually had two racquetball rackets with me. And I was trying to decide which one to use. And Rick told me, you got to use the one that has more tension. The better the, or the more tension, the better the racket. And flip side, unless the racket is under tension, you're not going to be able to use it. If I let off the tension or start cutting strings, this racket becomes very useless very quickly. And so Paul, as he's talking about these gifts, as he's talking about the building up of the church, says uh, that Christ has given the church these gifts so that we'll be equipped for ministry will attain unity in the faith and in knowledge so that we'll mature to the full measure of Christ so that we do not remain children so that we are not tossed back and forth so that we grow up into the head and by which the whole body is held together Paul wants us as God's people to be connected he wants us to be unified, to be working together as one body, one system, not separated or segregated, joined and held together. And that means there's going to be some tension. For a start, celebrating Jesus' gifts to the church means that when we embrace Jesus' gifts to the church, we have to get rid of our ideas of easy fixes. There is no one silver bullet that will fix the church, especially if it's a program or a plan or anything other than Jesus himself. 
I think we can easily slip into thinking that, well, if only our church had X, then everybody would come. Or if only we did Y, then we wouldn't have that problem that we're having. But Scripture doesn't call us to find smart solutions or to rack our brains for more plans or ideas. Instead, Scripture calls us to submit everything we have and everything we are to Jesus, to the Lordship of Christ. When Paul talks about these five gifts here, he's talking about five roles that we probably tend not to think about too much, or at least some of which we tend not to think about too much. But as I said, these gifts create tension, and it's a good tension, a healthy tension in the church, a tension that allows us as a church to do what it is we're supposed to do, just like tension allows a racket to do what it's supposed to do. In our case, this tension equips the saints for works of ministry and builds up the body of Christ until we all attain unity. We're going to talk about these five gifts over the next couple weeks. Um, and we're going to focus on it and do, do things just a little bit differently next week and on the 22nd than we normally have. Rather than me preaching a sermon for the next two weeks, I'm going to have some members of the Sermon Lab come up, and we're going to host more of a conversation or an interview. I'm going to ask, and we're going to answer some questions about each of these gifts. And so next week, we're going to talk about shepherding and teaching, and the week following on the 22nd, we'll talk about the apostolic, prophetic, and evangelistic gifts. And we're going to do this a little bit differently uh, for a couple of reasons. First, uh, as I said above, or as I've said before in our sermon series, Ephesians is uh, unlike other New Testament letters in that it was distributed more widely, and it really is more of a, a sermon or a manual for ecclesiology, for what it means to be the church. And so we want to take the whole book seriously, but we especially want to take this part seriously because it comes at the center of this book of Ephesians or this, this sermon, this message. Today we've reached the pivot point, if you like, between these two themes in Ephesians. First, we've talked a lot about the theme of Christology, who is Jesus, and a very high view of Jesus. And what we're going to see going forward is the theme of ecclesiology, what it means to be the church. And so here in chapter 4, uh, and specifically in these seven verses, we see both of these themes come together. This Jesus who descended and, back, and ascended back to heaven, who has given these gifts to equip the church for works of service. So we're going to spend a little time here at this pivot point. Second, um, these gifts aren't exhaustive. Sue read in her prayer the uh, gifts or the, some of the fruits of the Spirit, but there are other gifts mentioned in other passages in Scripture as well. Uh, but in these verses, I think we see specifically how Christ equips the church. That these gifts aren't just gifts that God gives to his people, but that these are gifts that Paul pictures almost as leadership gifts. That Christ has given these five to the church so that the church may be built up. In other words, these gifts are specifically about discipleship. And third, I think that these gifts have a huge amount of practical value and application. And so I want to sit with them a little longer for the next couple of weeks. So hopefully all of you can have a better understanding. But also, 
um, that you can have some practical advice or maybe even some tools to explore better the gifts that God has given you as an individual and that he's given us as God's church. So, back to the sermon. The problem with any conversation about gifts or gifting is that we, or maybe it's just me, but we tend to be very selfish about our gifts. I tend to think, well, this is what I have. This is what I want to do with it. But we easily or too quickly forget that God has given all of us gifts. That each of us and all of us have something to bring to the community and something to receive from and learn within the community. All these gifts, in other words, are supposed to fit together. And not just fit together so that each of us gets to meet or or do what we want, but fit together so that the body is built up. And so one of the questions we always need to ask when we're talking about what gifts we have and, and using the gifts that we have is this question. Is, is this gift, is this thing that I want to do something that you want to receive? It's a really important question, I think. In other words, is this gift a gift or is this just something I want to do that becomes an obligation? This principle is illustrated beautifully in a book called When Helping Hurts by Steve Corbett and Brian Thickert. These two guys wrote this book and they were looking at how, the Amer- how American Christians have done a lot of damage in the developing world by bringing clothes to impoverished communities in Africa and then putting seamstresses out of business. By building houses in Central America with blocks and local resources and making uh, or putting local building or builders, excuse me, out of business or out of work. And then they offer a better way, a more beautiful way. You see, most of us want to do beautiful things. We want to do good things in service of Jesus. But unless we stop to consider the unity of the body, often our best efforts end up hurting rather than helping. The gifts that God has given us, whether they're these five gifts that we're going to talk about more or other gifts mentioned in other places, the gifts that God gives his people are never gifts for us just to keep for ourselves and feel good about and hold out and say, oh, look at all the things that I have. Instead, the gifts that God give us, that God gives us are for the building up of the body of Christ. And even in that word building, we see the Greek word oikos that I've mentioned to you many times before. That we're supposed to use our gifts for the edification of the household of God, the family of God. And then Paul says we won't be children. When we use our gifts to build up the body, then we're not children. Then we become adults. It's that friction, that tension that helps us grow from childhood to adulthood, from immaturity to maturity. Transformation, whether it's physically growing up or spiritually growing up, almost always requires tension. If you reflect on the times in your life when you've grown the most, I suspect that you've probably matured most often and in in the greatest degree through difficulty, through tension, through disagreement, maybe through perseverance 
in a challenge. And so what about these gifts in particular? How do they help us grow in that tension? Well, I'm going to go through them here. And, uh, and as I do that, I invite you to maybe meditate on the gifts that God has given you or consider what gifts God has given you. If I asked you what it means to be a shepherd or a teacher, probably most of you would have a decent idea. A teacher is someone who holds forth truth, who's excited by God's truth. Teachers love to explain and enlighten and apply God's word to the lives of God's people. And we have a pretty good understanding of what it means to be a teacher. Strangely, we also, I think, have a pretty good understanding of what it means to be a shepherd. Now, some of you have assured me that there are sheep in the area here, but I think sheep are not a regular part of most of our lives. And yet we have uh, passages like Psalm 23 and John 10 that remind us of how Jesus is a good shepherd. And so I think for those, uh, because of those passages, this picture of a, what it means to be a shepherd has uh, stuck with us in our vocabulary A shepherd is somebody who watches over God's people, who cares for others with a tender heart, who sees their needs. Shepherds love to help God's people see how God's word and his spirit provide comfort and encouragement to anyone and everyone in need. And I think for the last couple hundred years in the church, we've really emphasized these two roles or gifts, the roles of shepherd and teacher. When I went to seminary, I was really taught two things, how to be a teacher and how to be a shepherd. I was taught to understand the Bible and how to help other people understand it. And I was taught pastoral care or shepherding, how to care for God's people. And these are the two aspects of ministry that we've really focused on a lot in the past few hundred years. But our joy as the church is that God has created us to be more than just seminary students in training. This is where the apostles and prophets and evangelists, I think, come in and those giftings. An apostle is someone who is sent out. The word comes from the Greek, which literally means one sent out. An apostle is someone who wants to challenge people to go into new territory, new directions where God is leading. Apostles love to encourage God's people to find new ways to do kingdom work. And they often want to pioneer inventive ways of being obedient to God. How can we be obedient to God in a world that's changing, for example? Apostles are often looking to the horizon to see where God is leading next. A prophet is someone who hears and listens to God. In the Old Testament, we see many examples of a prophet who foretells tells the future, and also tells forth revelation from God. Prophets love to help God's people step back and get a clearer vision, a bigger picture of what God is saying and what's happening in God's world. Prophets can often share insights that other people don't see and sometimes share insights from God that others of us don't want to see. An evangelist is someone who brings good news. Someone who shares the gospel eagerly, especially with people who don't have a relationship with God. Evangelists love to help God's people see how his word is relevant to our culture, to our lives, 
and especially how God's word is relevant to people who are far from God. If you think about all, each of those five different giftings, some focused more inward, some focused more outward, you see that these giftings create a tension in the church, but a healthy tension. If a church is too inwardly focused, it's probably focusing more on some gifts than others, maybe more on the gifts of teaching or shepherding. But we need the tension, the healthy tension that God has given us or that God designed us to live in so that we can function the way that he designed us to function and do the things that he designed us to do. So how does Christ equip the church? What does it look like that Jesus has given these for the building, these gifts for the building up of the church or in equipping us for works of ministry? Well, I think in the simplest way, Jesus equips the church by giving himself to the church. We spent just, I don't know, three minutes, four minutes maybe this morning looking at a very brief definition of each of these roles. But these aren't just roles for us to play out. It's not just an opportunity to do an inventory and for somebody to figure out where you fit in a puzzle that only has five pieces or something silly like that. We don't, as Christians, have to create a formula or a recipe to follow. These gifts, I think, instead are important because each of them gives us a window into the way in which Jesus lived and access to the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, who's working in us, who is building up the church and equipping each of us and all of us for ministry. And so as we begin to exercise our God-given gifts, we experience Jesus as the perfect example of each of these. Jesus is the perfect teacher. He doesn't just hold out truth from God, but he embodies truth from God. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, he's not just telling his disciples the truth. He is doing that. But he's also showing them that he is the truth. That relationship with Jesus is the only way we can approach God because Jesus is the perfect teacher of truth. And we experience Jesus as the perfect shepherd. Jesus tells his disciples this much. As I said, this, in these pictures that stick with us. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd because he watches over God's people. He cares for us with a tender heart. He sees our needs. But he's a perfect shepherd because he alone can fully meet our needs. And only he can rescue us, not just from danger, but from death. And we follow Jesus as our perfect apostle. Jesus is the one sent out from God, from the Father. He's the one who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but emptied himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, Philippians says, God has exalted him. Jesus, sent from God, is leading God's people into new places in a new way. Jesus is sent from God as the perfect apostle who leads us through every kind of death but leads us into eternal life. 
And we obey Jesus as the perfect prophet who hears and listens to God. Throughout his ministry, Jesus foretold his death. He gave his disciples a very clear picture of what would happen. But even in the moments before his prophecy came true, Jesus not only called God's people to obedience, but he was perfectly obedient himself. As Jesus prepared to go to the cross, he cried out, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, but not what I will, but yours, your will be done. Jesus was a perfect prophet because he perfectly heard and proclaimed God's word and also because he perfectly submitted himself to the Father's will. And finally, we're stirred by Jesus, the perfect evangelist who brought good news to the world. Jesus eagerly shared the message of reconciliation with God, especially with those who didn't have a relationship with God. Jesus preached the same message of reconciliation and peace to those who were far off and to those who were near. And the perfect, as the perfect evangelist, Jesus brought not only good news, but the best news the world has ever heard. The same news for everyone. There will be an end to the way and the things that are not the way they're supposed to be. There will be universal flourishing. There will be peace. And it begins the moment you turn lordship of your life and control of your life over to God. Jesus has equipped his church, both in the early church, in the, old, in the, old, in the New Testament, excuse me, and equipped his church today for works of service. Because in giving these gifts, he has given himself to us. There's no tension in the person of Christ. And as we grow, and as we sit within that tension ourselves, we see that some of the great tension that we have is the tension of dying to ourselves. Giving up our desires, giving up our preferences, and allowing Jesus to do in us the work he wants to do in us so that he might reign not only in our individual hearts, but also in our family, our spiritual family, and soon in the whole world. And so as we close in prayer, I just invite you to meditate on which of those aspects of Jesus' character or of his ministry resonated with you most. And we'll thank God for each of these and for the way in which he ministers to, equips, and leads us into uh, not just in, in terms of a deeper identity, but also into uh, works of obedience and ministry. So please join me in a word of prayer. Jesus, we thank you and praise you that you are the perfect Son of God. We're amazed, Lord, that as I said in the opening, that you invite us to partner with you in your ministry of reconciliation and of salvation. Jesus, we look to you as the perfect man, fully God, yes, but also fully and completely human. And so, God, we thank you and praise you for the way in which you teach us what it means to be godly 
and that you teach us what it means that we are children of God. We praise you, Jesus, that you shepherd us, that you watch over our hearts, that even though you reign from heaven, that you've given us the Holy Spirit, the comforter to be with us and remain with us until you come again. Jesus, we praise you that you not only came from the Father, that you accepted his sending, but also that you send us out into the world along with your spirit to go and proclaim that good news in new places as we grow and mature together. And Jesus, we thank you that you listen and we're fully obedient to your Father. In all the ways that we are not obedient, we are not only thankful, but we stand amazed that you speak the word of truth and the words of life, but you also embody them for us. And Father, we thank you that you came to preach the good news and embody the good news for us so that we can celebrate with you and with everyone who turns to you, both now and forever. Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you and praise you for all that you are to us. We thank you for this union with you and for this unity that we have in our body because of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we uh, close our service and prepare to follow Jesus into the world this morning, we're going to sing our final song, our sending song.